If you have a photographic memory, you're thinking, I know I've seen that slide before. He's not trying to pull a fast one after a vacation, is he? I'm not. <laughs> About a year ago, I did use that slide. Uh, this morning, I want us to look at John chapter 4, and it's, it's a passage we did look at a little over a year ago in terms of the Samaritan woman. Today, what I want to look at is not the Samaritan woman, but the other people, the disciples that come up later and some of the people that she talked to and look at it from a different angle. One thing John does that I think is fascinating, if, if you go home, read through the Gospels, you'll see this. And, and go home, read through the Gospels, check it, see if I'm telling you the truth, uh, is that he, he doesn't just include the person that, the event was, that was at the center of the event. Hey, if Jesus was talking to, like here, the Samaritan woman, he also tells us what was going on with uh, the other people that were around. He tells us about when the disciples walked back up, what they saw, how Jesus responded. He tells us about what happened with the people that she went back. When she goes back to town, tells them, we find out what happens with a lot of them. And he does that over and over again. You know, the guy being lowered early in the book, guy being lowered down through the ceiling. He tells us what was in people's hearts and how Jesus responded to them. And I think that John is doing that not on accident. I don't think it's just flourish or extra detail. I think John is actually wanting us to pay attention, not to just what's at the center, not to just what might be most obvious, but even to those people who are, who are kind of on the periphery of any particular uh, event. Because we are often watching God do things, and we are, like the disciples, coming back after God's done something, and having different reactions, and he's kind of showing us, I think John is, how to respond, what we should have been looking for, how maybe, maybe what we, how we could have looked at that circumstance differently, or just uh, how uh, some other people are going to see it. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let me just say before we go any further, it's kind of interesting John's wording here, because he says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, if Jesus wanted to go quickly... He had to go through Samaria. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're taking a trip and there's places you'd like to see or places you'd like to avoid, sometimes they take longer, right? Dan, let me mention a prayer request too. Dan and Bobette. Bobette's uh, uh, father fell and is having some, some issues with that and is in the hospital. So remember him in your prayers too. I thought of that because Dan and Bobette, I used to live in Bonham, preached in Bonham for several years. Her parents live in Bonham. And the, the straight way to get through Bonham is to go straight through the heart of Fort Worth, Dallas, and everything in between, right? You just, the heart of the beast. You gotta go right through. And that's easier than it used to be with toll roads, which by the way, communist toll roads. But, but the, <laughs> hate the anti-Texan roads. And all we're about to do is get more of them. But, the sermon's not about that today, okay? That's, I'm just explaining that's Samaria, okay? It's, it's, it's not quite as much Samaria as Midland and Odessa. I haven't picked on them in weeks, but, you know, there you are. But that's the quick way, and that's what Jesus does. I think when he says that wasn't what was normal. Jews normally went around. They didn't want to deal with Samaritans. They didn't like them. They praised God that they weren't them. 
And so they would go around. Dan and Bobette go way around. When Pat and Emmett would come visit us, okay. When they would come visit us in Bonham, they would go way around, and we often did too. Here's the trick: if you go way around Bonham, you end up in St. Joe, and there's a German bakery with a Danish. See what I'm saying? So Jesus didn't need a Danish, so he went through Samaria. So. He, he cut right through. I think when it says that he had to, I think he knew what he was up to because he didn't have to. It wasn't a, nece- a necessity and it wasn't the norm. So maybe his had to had to be about what was about to happen here. Verse 7, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And that's two things, not one thing. She's saying, You're a Jew. Jews don't talk to women, and I'm a woman. Why are you talking to me? Okay? It, they hadn't had women's lib in Samaria or in Jerusalem. Okay, And so she's going, I can't believe you're even talking to me. And on top of that, do you know where you are? Are you that lost? Because you're, you're talking to me. And he knew. And this is what he says to her. Because she's shocked. He says, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who is, is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because she's not thinking so yet. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. That's kind of tricky with what he just did. Did you see it? She says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know, but you have had a slew of them already. I don't think he looked over his glasses. I didn't mean to do that. You've had a slew of them already. And the guy that you're living with now, he's not your husband, is he? And she says, "Mm, that's interesting. So let's look at what she does, because actually she doesn't engage right then. He says, she says, I have no husband. He says, you've had five, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. If somebody said to you that kind of thing, you might say, hmm, NSA, right? Maybe a little bit. I wonder what this guy's up to. Somebody's been hacking. And in her day, a prophet's about as close as you're going to get. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I mentioned before what's fascinating is he just goes straight into her heart and says, this is your situation, I understand. And there's almost an implied, and yeah, I'm still talking to you. You still matter to me. I'm still not looking down my nose at you. I still care. That stuff doesn't scare me off. But he scared her off a little bit. 
Because her reaction was to say, so you think I ought to be at the place where there's a church with a big C or the church of Christ with the small C? Only church of Christ people are going to get that joke. I apologize to the visitors. Okay, small C, big C, it's like an in-house thing. Our typewriters are broken. So the, it's, just, it's just what it is. But, you know, we, we, we had those questions. Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Where do we worship? And you, when she asked this question was when he got to her heart. And we do that, right? We, we get defensive and we throw up barriers and we say, hmm, you ever eaten at Sonic? You know, that sort of a thing. How about those Mets? In New York, it's the only time that most people are going to ask about the Mets. It means they're dodging the subject, okay? Otherwise, they're talking about the Yankees. But if something comes up that's uncomfortable, you say, hmm, how about those Mets? And so this is kind of her dodging. And that's her thing. Conversation goes on. We're, we, we've talked about that before. And, and if you haven't, go read it. It's fascinating. The conversation goes on. She becomes convicted that he's not just a prophet. She becomes convicted that he is actually the promised Messiah. By the way, Samaritan woman, she knows her stuff for somebody who uh, is seen by uh, Jews of the day as being a religious outcast. She knew about the promise. She knew that it mattered where you worshipped. She knew that it mattered how you worshipped. And she really was, I think, honestly inquiring, even if it was a dodge of something a little too close to home. But she knew he cared, and so she kept talking. She runs back to town. And she tells him, you're not going to believe this guy. This guy told me everything I ever did. And he still talked to me. And he's from like Jerusalem or somewhere crazy like that. And he still talked to me. And he was talking to me about faith. And he knew what I've done. He knows what's happened to me. You would not believe. And they said, and he's still talking to you? Because they weren't always still talking to her. They, some of them must have looked down their noses at her. That's why she was getting water when she was getting water, to avoid the town gossips. They said, this we got to see. And so they do. They go out and meet. Let's uh, look here at verse... Let's pick up 23. No, 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 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And she got it. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Do you catch that? They marveled. They're like, what is he doing? Right? Why is he talking to this lady? And notice that it doesn't even say that they marveled that he was talking to a Samaritan. They're more shocked that he's talking to a lady. Now figure that one out. That's odd, really. I think it's a little odd because, in truth, Jesus even up to chapter 4, has already shown that he doesn't care about those earthly divisions that we seem to care about. He already believed the book of Galatians before it was ever written, that in Christ there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. He believed that, okay? So he already had shown that, but st it's kind of early, right? And so they're still going, man, this guy is going to get us in trouble. You know, what was her name? D, who used to say that all the time. Mm, Y'all got to get back to your 70s sitcoms. I know the reference anyway. So they come back and they're a little bit shocked. So here in verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anybody bought him something to eat? 
Isn't that funny how earthly we are in our thinking? Because we're like them, right? If he had said that to us, oh no, I got food you don't know about. Immediately we would have been going, who went to McDonald's for him when we weren't looking? And how come he got food and we, we don't, where did he get this? Why did we have to walk all that way if he's got a pack somewhere? They're not catching it. And so what does he say? They say, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. There's a saying, especially in social media, called being Jesus juked. I don't know, does anybody know what Jesus juked means? That's whenever you're having a conversation and somebody says something like, man, I sore, I sure am sore. I'm sore. I, I could, I could, this wouldn't have to be just an illustration. I am sore. My allergies are so bad when I got to, to Cloudcroft and Almagorda and White Sands that I'm not sore from doing Carlsbad. I'm not sore from the White Sands and climbing dunes. I'm sore from sneezing and I'm not even kidding. I woke up this morning and like all around here, it's like, thank the Lord for Claritin and pass some more. So, bad, bad. But it, it's, it, being Jesus juked is, man, I sure am sore. And somebody, one of us christian people, thinks that it's spiritual to say, well, I bet you're not as sore as Jesus was when he was on the cross. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it's usually said about like that, isn't it? Man, I sure am hungry. I bet you're not as hungry as Jesus was 40 days in the desert. And you just, you can't win. Because no matter what you do, somebody's going to bring up something Jesus did and you've just been juked, right? So that's a Jesus juke. He does that to the disciples. They're like, did you get something to eat? My food is doing what God wants me to do. What was your food, a Big Mac? No, he, I don't think he means it tacky like that. And he's, he's not trying to one-up them. He's just telling them, there's a focus here that's more important. You're worried about lunch. I'm actually worried about something else. Sometimes there's more, there are more important things than the plate right before you. I say this at 11.13 for a reason. You see what I'm saying? We're nearly done. The, <laughs> my food is to do what God wants me to do. And I think this is where we're supposed to pay attention. John puts this in here. By the Spirit, you know, he didn't write just what he wanted. No prophet spoke of his own accord, Peter tells us, who was there that day. But when he is carried along by the Spirit, and John is carried along and showing us, this is what God wanted us to know from this moment. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We focus on a lot of things in our life. And there are a lot of things that we can, that we can focus on even as we watch Jesus work. Okay? They're seeing face-to-face Jesus and even with the, the things that are going on in front of them, and honestly, as big as raising the dead is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. We don't get the impact of that, but it is. It's like he went into Montgomery, Alabama in 1959 and sat down next to an African-American man and had a conversation and watched the rest of the restaurant go, Woo, what is that man doing? Of course, Jesus would have been in trouble there too because he was also a Jew. They had two layers of problems going on in 1959 Montgomery, Alabama. But you see what I'm saying. It would have been that shocking. And they're thinking about lunch. He says there are just more important things. Number one is this, the most important thing, the thing that feeds me, the thing that gets me to breathe every day, the thing that gets me up in the morning, isn't whether or not I'm going to have beef or chicken. The thing that gets me up in the day, Jesus says, is God's at work and I want to be part of it. What can I do to walk in step 
with the Father? What can I do to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? What can we do to walk in step with Jesus? He says, disciples, that's what I want you to get. Because if you want to bear my mantle, if you want to wear my name, if you want to walk out of these doors and know that I am with you, live, eat, and breathe what the Father wants to see you doing out in the world. Kindness, love, joy, compassion, caretaking, service, evangelism, sharing as one hungry man who found bread with another hungry man where the bread of life is found. He says, my bread, my food, it's doing what God wants me to do because that's what really gets my blood going and gets me up in the day. This is what Jesus said to them. So I think John wanted us to see this, not just what was spectacular about his interaction with the woman, but John learned something that day. Don't you think that's why it left a mark on him that much? This is a moment for John. when he, He's telling us what changed him in that moment. It changed him, probably his view of Samaritans and his view of women. But it also changed his view of what his life was all about what he lived for, and what really moved him each day. He says, do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Or do you not say? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. Church, he's telling us the same thing. I know it can seem like in our time, maybe uh, spreading the gospel is more of a challenge than it used to be. But I think Jesus would say the same thing to us. Don't worry so much about lunch. Remember, the fields are white for harvest. There are people who want to know Jesus. There are people who need to know Jesus. And that's what you need to eat, live, and breathe. Solomon learned that lesson himself and tells us in Ecclesiastes 12, after he says that he had built and after he had chased all the things, he'd he'd gotten as wealthy as he could get, he'd gotten as many properties as, as he could get, he'd done as many special projects as he could do. He had more wives and concubines then you even can think about shoe closets. I mean, unbelievable what he had done in his life. And all of it, he says in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless. He said, I chased everything in the world that was bread, and I found out I was still hungry until I found this. Let us hear the, end, the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He said everything boils down to this. Fear God, revere, honor, respect the Lord. Do what He says. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus just said? My bread is to do the will of the One who sent me. There was one other group of people that was present here. I'm going to look at them quickly. So when the Samaritans, verse 40, came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And they stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. Isn't that interesting? Why did they believe? Because what he said rang so true in their life, just like with the woman. And so he talked to them about what was going on in their life. And he didn't even hold anything back. He didn't have to worry about walking on eggshells. He just was honest and kind. Now, it takes both. Honesty without kindness damages and burns bridges. But he was honest and kind with them. And so what happened? They came to believe because of his word. And they say to the woman, you know, it's no longer because of what you said 
that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. All of us have to come to a point, and if you were raised in a Christian home, you know what I'm talking about. You come to a point where faith becomes real because it's not just something you've heard about. It's not just something your parents teach you about. It's not just something you've seen in other people or your grandparents or other believers. It's that moment when suddenly you realize God knows you, when God gets you, when God hears you, and when God loves you. You get it. And they are there sitting with Jesus and they get it just like she did. So they look at her and say, listen, we thought you were telling stories and then we got here and you weren't. And then the more he talked, the more he convinced us, this is the living water. This is the bread of life. You convinced us. And so they end up following him. We sometimes are are afraid that... that, uh, Bringing up Jesus is going to make things too hard. It's going to cause too many problems. This lady didn't just bring up Jesus. She brought them to Jesus. And what it made was new disciples. We've been told the same thing. Your bread, church, is to do the will of Him who sent you. He says, look at the fields. They're white for harvest. People who need to know Jesus people who want to know Jesus, people who, when they spend time with Jesus, will come to Jesus. But like the Samaritan woman, they're waiting for somebody to come and tell. Jesus came and told her and showed her. She went to town. She came and told. And because of that, many what a great missionary this lady was. She went and told. They came and believed. And he says the same thing for us. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our bread, our living water, is seen in Jesus, who said His bread was to do the will of the Father, the one who sent him. And he's pointed our eyes to the fields and said, Go now into all the world. Everywhere God sends you today, it doesn't have to be Paraguay. It doesn't have to be Africa. It doesn't have to be, as we were talking about in class this morning, Cleveland. All these places need Jesus. But there are people at Walmart. There are people at the baseball fields. There are people that live next door to you. There may be people in your very home. And all they need is for you to wake up in the morning and seek the bread of Him who sent you, to do the will of Him who sent you. He calls you to this task. He calls you never to let grace die in just one heart, but to plant that seed further out and further out and further out. Because it's the seed sowers who created what happens that creates a harvest. Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. But you could just as easily say, Alan planted, Bill watered, and God gave the increase. Because that's what he calls us to. That's our bread. It's what ought to get us up and drive us in the morning. Let's pray together.
Father, we are grateful to have been a part of being able to see You work this morning, see You keep Your promises. Father, we pray that as we uh, consider the example of this one woman and Your Son, seeing so many lives touched, Father, we pray that we will meet You at the well, that we will see the task You have for us, and that we will step out on faith. We pray, Father, for the people that we are are going to be uh, living alongside, working alongside, and sharing Christ with. We pray that You are preparing their hearts, that You are tilling that soil. Father, we pray that we will be faithful and plant the seed, and that we will see and reap a great harvest. Father, we pray that You would be with those who are here this morning, who have yet to surrender their lives to You, We pray that You will help them to understand Your love and Your grace and Your compassion. We pray, Father, that You would move each of us to a greater relationship with You. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. We always offer an opportunity. If you need uh, prayers, we will pray with you. We can do that as a church. You can go to the back and uh, Mark, one of our elders, is already back there. There are others who will pray with you. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. Let them pray with you and for you. If it's your time that you want to put Christ on in baptism, we invite you to do that as well as we stand and as we sing.